Hi, I'm Bernard Fraser, and you're listening to The Essence of Cool. On today's show, we chat with Anne-Marie Bruger, who is an arts reporter, radio broadcaster, public speaker, and event MC, and has been part of the music landscape in Canada's capital, Ottawa, for over 20 years. She can be heard on two radio stations, CHUO-FM and CKCU-FM. She's got a column in Ottawa Life magazine and has interviewed everyone from Carol Pope and Orville Peck to Our Lady Peace and Billy Talent. She's a massive supporter of emerging musical talent and is the director of several music-oriented boards. On today's show, she tells us why Patti Smith, Debbie Harry, and Joan Jett are the essence of cool. Let's get started. Anne-Marie Bruger, welcome to The Essence of Cool. Why, thank you. I look forward to our conversation. Bernard, we always have some great conversations. <laughs> we do. Yeah. <laughs> they usually end up talking about Bowie for an hour and a half. But, uh... Exactly. And I'm wearing my, my new Bowie I t-shirt. Yes, I'm jealous. Yes. I don't have one like that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about your three picks, uh, Patti Smith, Joan Jett, and Debbie Harry. Uh, But before we get there, I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the concept of cool. Mm -hmm. What does cool mean to you? What is your definition of cool? Yeah, I'm glad you're starting with that, Bernard, because I did give it some thought. And it's like, really, what are how do we define cool? And, And to me, ultimately, I was thinking it is about being confident enough to be an individual, to be yourself, and to push the envelope somewhat without fear of the reprisal. And not a lot of people can do that. And um, it certainly has been a bit of a model for me. And I'm not saying that I'm cool, but I always was not afraid to just do what I want to do. In high school, I wore the clothes that I wanted to wear. Some people thought I was eccentric. Some people thought I was cool. Some people loved me. Some people hated me. It doesn't really matter. And it doesn't matter. And that's the whole point is that I'm content or I'm happy to do what I do. Um, so the artists, even more cool, right? Because they really push off. They go out there. They are artists. They are talented. And they make us, um, they challenge us yeah. in, in, in musical ways. Um, and so when you asked me who I thought was cool, you know, I have to admit right off the top of my head, I was thinking David Bowie, Iggy Pop, <laughs> you know, and I could think of a bunch of guys. And then you said, okay, well, we already have these guys. You're speaking with other people. And I thought, well, we need to represent the women here. There yeah. are a lot of cool women out there. Yeah. And the, the three women I've selected, I find were, um, you know, they spearheaded movements of their own and, and they became role models and they were not afraid to do what they want. I think some Patty Smith, for instance, would not even be conscious that she's trying to do something right. cool or different or pushing any envelope. She's just doing her. She's right. she's being herself. And uh, yeah. Well, you have to commit so completely to your vision and really, I guess, get lost in it. Right. I'm just going to mm-hmm. give you a couple of uh, so 
over the past uh, dozen or so episodes that we've done, here are some of the definitions that some that other people have come up with. The artist is uncompromising, doesn't care what the critics or the fans think, pushes the boundaries, always does the unexpected, and are ever-changing. Would you agree to those? I totally agree to that. And it's the ever-changing meaning they continue to grow and they continue to seek something else, something different, something beyond what they've done already. That's that right. whole pushing the envelope idea. Right. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into the artists, I want to talk a little bit about you as a younger person. Say, so let's take take us back to Anne-Marie as a 13 or 14-year-old. What <laughs> music are you listening to? And how are you finding that music? Well, I got into music quite young. In fact, I fell in love with um, Bowie at the uh, 1972 Ziggy Stardust era because my big sister brought the album home. Right. So I would have been only nine. And uh, and it was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I played it over and over again. And she was already sick of it. Like, she didn't care about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> So I think I was always interested in, and and I liked that it was odd and it wasn't the usual, you know, it was something that really took me somewhere else. So I was listening to that. Then I got into, as I got a little older, I got into more of the punk scene. Um, always Bowie was always there all along, Iggy Pop and all of that. But then, you know, I went, the Sex Pistols I found like fascinating and the Public Image Limited, I followed afterwards, and I just, you know, so much, so much influence the Sex Pistols with the one single album right. that they released, which is shocking, right? It's like, it's only one album. Good Lord. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that is what I'm doing. So by the time I got to grade 12, I was a pretty good uh, straight student always in, in high school. By the time I got to grade 12, I guess I started hanging around with different people and I had a lot of fun. My grades kind of tanked a bit, but uh, <laughs> but then I was like, all right, and this is when my whole fashion style kind of, you know, took a, a, a turn for 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 the it was cool you know where i had fun with fashion and clothing and i was not afraid to express myself and uh always had bowie like behind me always nearby people knew me as a bowie fan so yeah that's where i was at one of the things that was great about bowie and which makes him the essence of cool is that he was ever changing. You knew that the new album was going to be different from the Mm -hmm. last, Mm -hmm. but then he gets into some big left turns where he gets into um, uh, the, the Berlin period. And uh, it's a little more difficult to get into it. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, I persisted, I'm sure you did too. Was there any time when, any time when your uh, appreciation of him waned a little bit? Oh, sure. Day in, day out, you know, <laughs> right? That every, everyone kind of lost him at that one. Right. That was that was quite a bit later, but that was the thing I loved about him was that when there was a new album coming, you didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And it was so, the anticipation was great, and it was always so different, and it was like, wow, this is really neat. And I, I found that none of the other artists were doing that. Every album was just more of the same or more of... And and so it it was hard for me to get into other bands as much as him because I appreciated this 
constant change. And I appreciated that his lyrics were difficult to understand. And they were basically just sort of mean whatever they mean to me would not mean the same to you. And I really like that because there were some artists, if you think, you know, Krista Berg or, um, you know, the Eagles, I don't know what, that that tell stories, right. and I hate that. Billy Joel, <laughs> oh, my God, I hate that. It's like, I don't want to hear your freaking story. It's like, I like, challenge me with your lyrics. And and so it's interesting to be, um, to have been um, uh, educated by David Bowie right. because then everything else was just didn't quite fit in. Yeah. And one of the first concerts I saw was David Bowie, nineteen seventy six, and station, and he had time. yeah, it was all those white neon lights everywhere on the right. stage, right. and the set it was so incredible that any other concert I saw after that was like, <laughs> so you have purple and blue lights. I'm not impressed. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. it really interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was sad that uh, because I got into them a little bit late and I missed the Diamond Dogs tour because that was the big stage performance, the real theatrical performance. Yes, right? so that I was, was a re- big disaster, though. I think everyone threw their chairs on stage or something at, at the Ottawa Civic Center because oh, it was late or left early. Right. Uh, I was too young, so I didn't go right. to that one either. Right. Yeah. But I was going to say that, uh, but thankfully he came, he sort of went back to his theatrical side a little bit with the Serious Moonlight Tour, but then Glass Spider, yeah, uh, which I just adored. A lot of my friends poo-poo that. Uh, I know. I don't know why, but that's that was the Bowie that I, I got into in the first okay. place, the theatrical Bowie. So I was so heartened to see that. Anyways, so you talked about uh, lyrics that are challenging, which kind of brings us to our our first uh, artist, Patti Smith, mm-hmm. who is certainly known for writing some uh, very challenging lyrics. What got you into Patti? What did you first hear? When was it? Sort of give us some context. Um, Patti was, um, I was introduced by Patti by a girlfriend of mine um, that I met. Um, I, 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 she was a, a lesbian, probably the first lesbian I ever knew that back in the 70s. She was really um, in, into Patti Smith. So, I, so the Horses album, I guess, is 1975. So it must have been around that time that I would have started listening to Patti. And... Um, I was not appreciating the lyrics at that time. You know, you just kind of, I'm appreciating the whole groove, the whole kind of music. And and um, I really love, in particular, the cover photo of that album, Horses. Right, the Robert Maplethorpe cover, yeah. Yes, right. So this is like Patti Smith as Keith Richards. Right. Is how it's been described, and it's perfect, right? So there is a woman who is looking very asexual to me not you know just being this is who i am not wearing any makeup i look kind of rough i'm super skinny i look like keith richards she's not saying that but i'm saying that as i'm looking at um so yeah that that was an amazing album um the one that i have found in my record collection for some reason i'm not finding them all but it was wave so that was quite a bit later 1979 with songs like frederick Dancing Barefoot, and right. So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star. Those three yeah. amazing songs right Produced there. Produced by Todd Rundgren, too. That's right. Yeah, That's yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah, I got into her, um, I hadn't heard Horses, 
Um, I, although I may have heard Gloria, uh, but I the first album I bought was her second album, Radio Ethiopia, mm. which was, I guess, you know, uh, looking back, was probably a little more difficult album to get into because it was a little more bare bare bones, I guess, um, and a little raw. I was hearing a lot of hoopla about her. You know, a lot of my friends at the time were saying, yeah, Patti Smith, you know, mm-hmm. punk goddess, right? And uh, so I bought Radio Ethiopia. I had a little bit of a difficult time getting into it. Did you immediately like her or was there, did it take a sort of a bit of time for you to warm up to her? I immediately liked Horses. I did, but Radio Ethiopia is a different album. Yeah. Um, harder to get into, as you say, that I don't even know very well for that precise reason. Right. Uh, Easter was good. Wave was good. Um, and, and then I kind of lost touch. She's got a bunch more albums after that, but I kind of uh, actually have a, the, the later CDs I have, but don't listen to them that often. But I think Horses was it, it, it was impressive to me. It, it was it impressed me as a, a young woman. I would have been maybe 12 by then, right, <laughs> 13, right. you know. Um, so it's, your mindset is just different, right? You're a bit of a sponge at that age, and you're just taking everything in and say, yeah, I like it. You know, it's it's like Gloria. It's, it's hard not to like the song Gloria. Right, right. Um, yeah. But she's immediately labeled sort of the the punk poet laureate, right? And I was I always had trouble with uh, the punk label because didn't she the music to me didn't sound punk, and maybe mm-hmm. it was just more her intention and the fact that she played CBGBs so much. Uh, but why do you think she got labeled that way? She is punk because she's doing her own thing she's not trying to be pretty and feminine she's not trying to be anything she's just doing her very own thing she's writing and and her and robert they were living the real artist life like living in poverty um really like living that rough life in 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 new york city chelsea and chelsea Chelsea right right at the hotel and um they they were fine with that, right? So they're they're not trying to be popular musicians or writers or artists in order to achieve something. They're just doing what doing they do, it, right? right? So that is punk. That is that punk essence, if you want. Yeah. That you know, you're just you're doing your own thing. You're on your own route. You're not trying to. The last thing you're looking for is money or or um, acclaim, mm-hmm. right? The godmother of punk, absolutely. Yeah. You talk, uh, mentioned Robert Maplethorpe, uh, who, uh, the wonderful photographer whom she lived with and had a relationship for a period of time, and I guess pretty much remained her best friend throughout his entire life. Um, but they were, and as you say, they're living this very sort of bohemian lifestyle. Um, they're, they're living the art they are truly artists in that they're not as you say they didn't care about money all they cared about was living the life and producing art um and I, she talks a lot about you know, i just finished watching a uh, an interview with her and uh, she was talking about learning from pain she said that pain was kind of um a process 
that helped her learn about herself and helped her grow. Mm. Um, and I think about, you know, her relationship with Maplethorpe and that they were boyfriend and girlfriend. And then suddenly he's questioning his sexuality. And at one point he comes out and says, listen, I'm gay. And uh, the pain that must have caused, what role does pain serve uh, in the role of an artist? I think it serves a huge role because if you're an artist and you express yourself artistically, whether you're painting or singing or writing, this is how you get the pain out of your system and you are expressing yourself. In fact, I would think it would be a lot harder to write if you're in a great mood and you have no issues or no problems, right? <laughs> so uh, I, I think that whole pain is that you work through the pain and you write about it and you get it out in, in an artistic fashion is uh, a huge power for the simple reason that if you're happy-go-lucky and you're you're prancing around and you're happy. I don't know what kind of songs are you going to write. You're going to write about flowers and you're going to write about, about, uh, don't you know, worry, be happy. All those songs that I don't really yeah. care for. Right. <laughs> right. Um, she releases a couple of sort of blockbuster albums, Easter, uh, which was a huge success. And I, you know, I'm sure primarily because of the co-write with Bruce Springsteen on Because the Night, which was, a um, you know, mm. so that kind of put her in the rock stratosphere, you know, that sort of stratosphere mm. of fame. And then she, um, she came out with Wave, you were just mentioning Wave, which wasn't quite as successful as Easter, but still fairly successful. Mm -hmm. And then she meets Fred Smith, Fred Sonic Smith from the MC5, an amazing guitar mm -hmm. player and huge influence mm -hmm. on, on many, many uh, artists. And, I guess almost fairly abruptly leaves the the world of art and becomes, for lack of a better term, a housewife for 15, 16 years, <laughs> right? Um, and a mother. And, and a mother. That's, that's right. Mm -hmm. Well, there's 10 years there. Wave was released in 79 and Dream of Life in 88. Right. And so, yeah, that's a big... But then, and then another uh, six or seven years until ninety-six, right? So, yeah. apart from right. this little interruption from <laughs> uh, with that mm -hmm. album, she was pretty much living uh, home, sort of becoming a homebody. Um, but through that time, she really achieves this kind of huge status as a punk icon. Why is that? Do you think that is a question I cannot answer? Really, because she basically um, running on fumes from her successes with uh, Easter and uh, and Wave, uh, but I think during that time she's doing all of her writing. She's she might not be doing putting out albums, but she is writing a lot, and uh, she's developing her her. Po her poetry, her writing, um, maybe her interest was not so much in being a singer. She was not interested in being a singer in the first place before horses. She was like, oh, I don't sing. Right. I don't know about this. Right. And so she just went back to her own roots and, 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 and continued writing. And uh, so the reason why she continues to be, you know, a punk uh, icon again, possibly because she's living in her own terms. Right. right. It's yeah. funny you say that because that's one thing she did mention on Charlie Rose is that she never intended to be a musician. She wanted to be a no. poet, a writer, 
an artist, right. but you know, it mm -hmm. was, I guess she didn't start writing until she was, um, I guess she had a bit of a relationship with Sam Shepard, uh, the, the writer oh, and actor, the and writer he apparently bought her, actor. her first guitar. And I guess that's what sort of started it. But, oh, uh, and, cool. yeah. and she's living in the Chelsea hotel with people like Janis Joplin and William Burroughs possibly in there. Right. Allen yeah. Ginsburg yeah. And, yep, yeah. Yep. For sure. Yeah. So she leaves sort of public life. She's at home and I'm sure you're right. She's, she's writing, but then her husband dies, Fred dies. Mm -hmm. And not short, uh, shortly thereafter, her brother dies. And I guess she goes mm. into a pretty heavy funk, as I'm sure you would, right? And course, I guess it took yeah. Michael Stipe of REM and Allen Ginsberg to sort of come over and try to sh help her shake it off um, and get her back. They sort of urged her back into uh, public life and to start writing and recording again. But uh, And thank God for that. How do you... And we thank them. Yeah. <laughs> How do you suppose... And, and since then, of course, she's been fairly prolific. And uh, so a number of albums, particularly between sort of 96 and about 20, 2010, 2011. How do you think she was able to come out of that so triumphantly? I think it's the power of uh, of her own art and expression and being able to express that pain that we were talking about and being able to get it out and and it, there are no she's not like um a big rock star kind of person mm -hmm. like she wasn't like gracing all the magazines or anything like that she has several albums in those later years but they're not you know, it's not anything anyone would be like busting down the walls to to get at or anything like that. So again, just following her own course, her own path, her own journey, uh, living you know in, in a way that that suits her best. So I I don't know where all of this is coming from, but um, she is just so such a wonderful writer. Um, as you. Um, Bernard, I know that you like biographies a lot, and I read a lot of biographies, and I, I really enjoy them. But when when um, Just Kids came out, which is Patti Smith writing about her and Robert Maplethorpe, I bought it because I knew that it would be lovely to read, that she is such a, a wonderful writer and so mellifluous, if I can use that term for writing, um, the bio, the biography part is great, but it's just so nicely written. And I bought the second one, read the second one afterwards as well, which I forget what it's called right now. But um, just nice to read her, to read her. And she seems, in, and I too read Just Kids. I haven't read the second one either, uh, I hate to say. But you're right, the, the writing is beautiful. And she it it really paints a great picture of her as this very humble person and incredibly thoughtful. She really thinks mm -hmm. things through very well and considers uh, everyone's perspective, you know? So she's never okay. really looking at something just from her own, through her own lens. She's trying to look at it through everyone's lens to so, so that she's got a sort of well-rounded holistic view of things. I find that incredible. Which is very non-judgmental, and that's what's really interesting. Right. I mean, when she talks, tells all the stories about Robert, um, she does mention how worried she was about him, right. but she lets him do what he does. Right. You know, like she is not judging right. him uh, on all those things. So, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, no, just really, um, just lovely. And I finally got to see her live at uh, the Ottawa Folk Festival, if you can imagine. Okay, yeah. So it was quite a bit later in years. And she, uh, it was 2013, I do believe, if I'm not mistaken. And um, she was great. Yeah. She she loved it. it. She was she came out and you know met everyone. There was a bit of a walkway in in the crowd, and she kind of came out uh, and yeah, it was nice. I was glad to finally see her. It was lovely. I yeah. am yet to see her. I, I hate to say, and uh, I'm I'm hoping at some point that uh, she'll come back because I would love to see her. maybe a book reading or yeah. something or, or or a book tour yeah. sort of thing. I, I would see that happening. Um, yeah. What would you say is your favorite? album or perhaps your favorite song of patty's what's the one that really moves you that you'll put on repeat i really like the wave album so i would uh frederick is a song that i really liked okay. a lot um dancing barefoot yeah those those are the songs that 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 i like um, so you want to be a rock and roll star is a fun one too, but Frederick and Dancing Barefoot, and and they take me to a place, right? Because I bought them and listened to that album at the time that it came out, so it it takes me back yeah. somewhat. It's funny how music does that, you know. And it's still timeless. Like all of all of her material is still pretty timeless that you can still listen to today. I would not say that about Blondie. Right. Right. You know? What would you say is Patty's biggest contribution to the world of art? It's her poetry and her writing and her attitude. Mm -hmm. It's the attitude of a true artist who is an artist for no other reason than that this is what she has to give to the world. Not because she's trying to be famous or trying to make a point or trying to be, you know, trying to succeed in anything. She's just being who she is, um, her poetry. And and I'm reminded that she's the one who accepted Bob Dylan's uh, Nobel Peace right, Prize. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I, I should go back and read what she said. Was, I really don't remember it now, but it was like, that's interesting. So there is something to be said there. Well, mm -hmm. perfectly sums up our conversation on Patti Smith. Uh, let's take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Joan Jett. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in to The Essence of Cool. As an independent podcast, we rely wholly and completely on support of listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please help keep us on the air and throw a few bucks in our electronic tip jar. You can find it on the front page of our website, theessenceofcool.com. We truly appreciate your help. Now let's get back to the show. And we're back on The Essence of Cool. We're talking to Anne-Marie Brueger. Just finished chatting about Patti Smith. And uh, let's uh, kick into Joan Jett. What was your introduction to Joan? What did you hear and when was it? You know, I think I was not a very deeply into Joan Jett. But uh, I, I think I came to appreciate, appreciate her later on in life. Um, she would have been a bit frightening to me, I think. Right. It, if I was only like 13 or something, or I don't know how old I would have been at the time, um, maybe a little older because she is a bit younger. So let's say I'm 15. I, I, I think 
I would have admired her her gumption, admired her badass attitude, mm-hmm. and would have been a little intimidated at that point in time. So it's kind of interesting. But as I getting older, it's like, oh yeah, like she is, she um, paved the way for sure um, for for many young. Um, women who wanted to like stop putting me into a mold stop mm. trying to make me be some pretty girl who doesn't know how to play guitar and I can all I can do is sing or whatever right and she's yeah. like to heck with this I, I've got a guitar I'm going to be badass and you have to say that word because it's the only way to describe her so if you you would have been frightened of her in the beginning, intimidated, uh, in, yeah. intimidated. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Then what? When did you start getting into her music? What was it? What was the song? It would have to be "I Love Rock and Roll," right? right? Um, and when I discovered "I Love Rock and Roll," I found her fascinating, intimidating, but fascinating. I went back and looked at uh, the Runaways, of course, and it's like, oh, these three girls are really like, whoa, you know. But amazing. They were great. There's a threesome girl band who are acting like boys, and they're not afraid of anything. So, you know, a young woman's going to love that, right? And sure, it's intimidating, but it's also cool. It's like, all right, well, they can do this. Mm-hmm. I can do whatever I want. So I Love Rock and Roll um, for sure would have been one. And um, and then the, you know, Do You Want to Touch Me, I thought was really a bit naughty and really great, great song as mm-hmm. well. Um yeah, it would have been back then for sure. Uh, and, and then she continued, you know, then she got a little easier. She was in this movie with Michael J. Fox, uh, Light of Day, which I remember right. watching and enjoying. I'd have to watch it again now because I don't remember it all, but I remember enjoying it and thinking, okay. So then she's starting to get a bit more mainstream at that point, so slightly right. less badass, being a bit more accepted. You know, I um, I love artists who are really edgy, which is why I'm drawn to people like Iggy Pop. And I loved the dolls. I loved the cramps. Um, And when I was in my punk phase, like your punk phase, it was back in, uh, you know, it was of the time, 77, uh, 76, 77, 78. And I used to go to the punk clubs in Toronto. And the first song I heard was Cherry Bomb. And it blew me away. Just fell in love instantly. Okay. (laughs) She says that you know, I'm trying to think what, you know, artists' impetus are to become artists, to get into music. And uh, she says that her parents really told her that she could do anything she wanted. And if you want to do something, put your mind to it and go to it, which is pretty much the opposite. I think everybody, every other artist's parents said to them, right, <laughs> you can't get into music. Don't it's not that. a job. Right. <laughs> I wonder if that kind of support system is what uh, inspired her. Oh, I'm sure. And I think when your parents tell you you can be whatever you you want to be, it's you can do whatever the boys do as well, right? Yeah. And and this was a clear, like, it can't get clearer than that. It's like, we can be a girl band that does boy band stuff. Like, we can do right. this, and no one's going to tell us we can't do it. I'm sure they had a hard time uh, in the business and the the record industry all of that must have been you know they must have had to go over several um obstacles to get to where they got but they did not compromise either right 
Well, interesting you say that because um, with with Cherry Bomb, they kind of they, she's fifteen years old at this time. They kind of launched well, not quite in the stratosphere, but they became hugely famous, and they were touring around the world, touring in Japan, etc. Et but when she went solo. She had a hell of a time trying to get a deal. Um, I just want to read something here. She, um, she, she hooks up with producer Kenny Laguna, and they record an album's worth of demos, but she starts sending it out to every record company under the sun, and every record company sent back a rejection letter. So she says, um, uh, they would always say, we love this music, there are great songs here, but she would still get turned down. I wonder why that is, because it sounds like maybe she had a bit of a reputation, but what kind of a reputation? The reputation for being difficult, perhaps. I think it's a marketing problem. Right. The, the record executives could not imagine anybody be interested in buying a record from this woman who's not singing lovely girl songs and she's 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 being more punk rock rock you know in in the true sense of the term um i'm sure that's what it was they turned it down because they did not see any dollar figures standing out um from that um sure she probably had a bad attitude but so so did a whole bunch of guys right yeah. do you think iggy pop didn't that wasn't hard to work with right come on right, right? i mean yeah that's the problem. Like, oh, it's a girl. She's going to be difficult. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't give me that. It's, <laughs> it's funny because, I mean, the 70s was certainly notorious for that kind of um, misogynistic uh, sort mm -hmm. of uh, perspective, right? Uh, oh gosh, talking yeah. to Carol Pope on, on the show. And Carol had the same, the same issue. You know, mm -hmm. it was because she was an outspoken woman who was talking very clearly about sexuality and about gay sex, you know, mm -hmm. and nobody wanted to have anything to do with her. And, you know, thankfully, Bernie, Fink Bernie Finkelstein of True North believed in her and, and gave Rough Trade a deal. But mm -hmm. she had an equally difficult time. So I guess the question is, has, has it changed, do you think? This is where I'm shaking my head thinking, not much. You know, uh, I, I think we've evolved for sure, um, but there is still that gap, right, between, right. you know, if you're a difficult woman, you're well, you're going to be called difficult. If you're just trying to, like, stand your ground, you, you could be called difficult, bitchy, hard to work with, uh, all of those things. Uh, a guy says the same thing, and it would be like, oh, yeah, he's just being an artist, whatever. So that still exists today, absolutely. Yeah. Uh However, I think we've evolved somewhat, and I th would like to think the, re the record industry has evolved. The record industry hardly even exists anymore now with the, the way people are putting out music these days. Um, it is kind of interesting that um, the I Love Rock and Roll um, song itself came out of a session uh, that was uh, recorded with uh, Paul Cook and Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols. Yeah. So maybe, you know, that somehow that... Um, Maybe that's why I like that song. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's some influence. I'm not too sure. So you have those two guys at your back helping, you know, pushing, right. helping. Right. You know, you think pe having people, you need to have people like that. Mm. You need to have some people in your life that will lift you and facilitate and help 
open some doors. I think maybe the bottom line is we just need more women in the upper echelon of the record business Mm -hmm. to be able to help foster those careers and to provide some, some female context. Yes. Which is what she did in return then in, in the, in the nineties, she produced bikini kill. Right. Right. And, and it was part of that, riot girl movement she wasn't part of it but she was the sort of a mentor to the riot girl movement right. and uh, so she did her part as a woman leading women yeah. right and you know uh just to back track a little bit um it, 10 years previous she's not able to get that that record deal so her and her producer decide to start their own label and uh they're really working from the ground up they started selling uh records out of his trunk the trunk of his car right and uh it's it's funny because that's kind of how where i guess the music industry has gone because now we're all kind of diy artists these days mm-hmm. um but what Joan had, it was this fierceness to want to just make sure everybody knew about her. Everybody had one of her albums in their hands. And um, do you see that kind of fierceness and that that strong DIY attitude in artists today? I see it in some. Yeah, I do. And those are the ones that I really have... Uh, one single goal and that they're focusing on keep your eye on the prize and they're really really focused they're trying to get somewhere with their art with their music mm-hmm. i do see it um i mean i i've been working with the local emerging artists for several years almost 20 years and so i see it in some some is like well this is my music and it's lovely and it's all great and that's fine and then then you don't hear from them anymore but the ones that really have um that that razor sharp vision for themselves they do that and they and they get somewhere for sure Mm-hmm. And it's very fickle, you know. You might not get anywhere. It's so fickle, or you might just happen to like, oh look, somebody suddenly likes me, and I'm a big superstar, and I didn't even want to be. Look at Billie Eilish, you know. It's kind of just happened. She yeah. she didn't even like the idea of being so popular, and now she's starting to warm up to it. But right. it's very fickle. The industry is very very fickle. I think that's why you need to believe in your own art and your what you're doing. Um, like Patti Smith, you know, she's not trying to be anything other than just put the music out there and 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 put the poetry, put the words down on paper. Um, so it's a bit dangerous. Like if you're trying to get into the music business because you want to be famous, you're going to be disappointed. Right. Right. right, right. So. I want to talk about her image a little bit. Um from my notes here, she said that Liza Minnelli was partly responsible mm-hmm. for her look. She loved the movie Cabaret, apparently. She mm-hmm. also loved Bowie and Bolin, mm-hmm. of course, and lots of other androgynous artists. So she said that she developed her character as a sense of armor. Why do you think she needed the armor? Because she's trying to survive in a man's field as a as a rock and roll woman. And having to have that tough outer shell, uh, I think that's that's really important to just be 
to, to be your a persona. So you're sort of protecting yourself. If you're out there and you're being Joan Jett, you're not, you, you don't have to, you can separate yourself. Bowie did this all the time, right? Right. Like he was David Jones, but when you saw him, he was David Bowie. And now he really separated those two um, personalities, um, certainly in the later years anyway, uh, very important to protect yourself to for your own self-preservation, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I would see that. That's how I would explain that, mm-hmm. explain her, yeah. She's been very private about her sexuality. Mm. And um, Carol Pope and I were talking about this as she was talking about some of the people in the 70s who um, she looked up to, you know, it was, again, Patti Smith features here, Debbie Harry, of course. And, um, and of course, Carol was such a, a, a prominent icon in the late 70s and early 80s uh, and very outspoken about her sexuality. Um, and she kind of thought that it was a bit, it was sort of to society's detriment that Joan doesn't talk about it. Why do you think that she holds that so private? Well, she probably thinks it's, well, I don't know what she's thinking, but there, there is a, why does it matter is, is what I'm thinking. Um, Carol would argue that you want to sort of promote the LGBTQ community and you Mm -hmm. want to open doors, which Carol did so successfully. She did very well. Yeah. Um, But some people are not there. They're not, you, you need some strength to, to be able to be that person that is not afraid to be open. Um, and and Carol was open way back in years before or before it was trendier, before it was easier, like it's much easier now. It's a, we're all much more open and accepting and all of right. that. Um, she she would have had to be a very strong. Maybe Joan is, you know, she's badass, but it doesn't mean she's that strong. I mean, I don't know. Right. I I cannot answer for for her, and and I wouldn't want to be judgmental and crit- criticize her for it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, she's responsible for one of rock and roll's biggest anthems. You mentioned earlier, I love rock and roll. How do you think she has changed music? Well, I think she helped to open that path for young girls who wanted to be able to swing a guitar and, (laughs) and just do what they want to do and not be limited uh, in thinking, well, I'm a girl, so I can't really do all those things. And look at all the girl bands that came after. Um, I don't think they would all say because of Joan Jett, but she would be one of the many women that would have helped uh, open path. It was such an interesting time then, right? The, the late 70s, um, where where all things seemed to be possible all of a sudden. When you look at the 60s and it's like, that is not the norm. That was not the formula. By the time you get to the late 70s, all kinds of things seem possible. All sorts of doors are opening, all sorts of paths are, are starting. So really interesting times, absolutely interesting she was one of them she was there you know uh, she contributed yeah. to the changes that we see and uh, 
you know, and so that now today, I think of women not even thinking about that they need a guy or a man of some sorts to help guide their way. They would be like, I'm sure if they're, they heard me say what I said earlier, they'd be like, um, you know, their skin would be crawling. But right. it's not like that anymore because right. of all these things that happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's actually quite remarkable. I, I watched this program about Gloria Steinem. Right. The, you know, feminist. feminist. Yeah. And I was blown away by the fact that this is not that long ago. It's yeah. It would have been like in my mother's time. Right. Um, and I was like, because I just take all these things for granted. This women, we can do whatever we want. We do all these things. I never even give it a second thought, but it's not that far away. It's just one or two generations before me. Hardly anything. And that's what I I was, you know, agape. Like, I can't believe that. That, that was the biggest thing I took away from that uh, documentary. Is like, wow. I, I assumed it was a long time ago when women were burning their bras or whatever. It was not that long ago. So. Right. Uh, a lot has happened. So again, the late seventies, the really time immemorial, it <laughs> changed yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. So much, yeah. You know, and and thank God for for Patty and Joan and uh, and Debbie and and Carol. Um, you know, opened the doors for you know the Miley Cyruses yeah. and uh, the Billy exactly. And, yeah, um, she was talking about rock and roll. And how it's been kind of supplanted by rap and sort of this new pop. And she says there's still a lot of rock and roll out there, but do you think it will ever come back? I don't know where we're going. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> with, with uh, but you know, it needs to t- it needs to take its own path. Uh, I don't want to be someone who is like, oh what are the kids doing these days? You know, um, there, there is one, uh, young woman here in Ottawa that I quite admire. I find her really original. Um, her name is Misha and she's really over the top. Uh, but it's fun. It's very entertaining. She's got the entertainment value figured out and she's more of a rapper. Um, and, it's not rock and roll at all anymore. And so I was telling a, a friend of mine, oh, you should listen to, to Misha. And, and he was like, oh, that's just weird. It's just like, <laughs> oh, it's like, I guess the kids like it these days. And it's like, yeah, okay. Well, I don't want to be that older person saying, well, this is what the kids like. I like they're they're going in their own direction. They're doing their own thing. And they will, it, who knows where it'll end up. Yeah. I don't really want rock and roll from that, like the late seventies that we're talking about, will never come back. It it was there. It's got a place in history. It has influenced the 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 artists that came after, and it will continue to influence artists uh, from this day on. But uh, no, I think it's on a forward trajectory. I hope. I worry about more about the music business side of it because I think artists are just I don't know how they're making any money anymore these days. Um, and I'm not talking about the pandemic. I'm just talking about how. In general, yeah. Yeah, in general. So that part is a little uh, unfortunate. I hope, hopefully something will uh, will come of that uh, where uh, our artists can actually make a living. This is what we really want our artists to be able to make a living yeah. and continue to deliver yeah. some great art. 
right? Yeah. So. Yeah, and um, just to back to the previous point, I don't think I ever want to see a resurgence of, of 70s rock, or at least I don't <laughs> want to see, you know, a 21st century version of, of that. But I would love to see guitar-oriented, heavy guitar-oriented music come back in a different way, you mm -hmm. know, because I really, I miss that energy like you. I think about the first time I heard uh, uh, the Sex Pistols and how yeah. that inspired me and that energy, which all came from Steve Jones' guitar. You know, and mm -hmm. I would love to see that come back in some form. It's the anger and the angst. Yes. That's yes, what exactly. I, I love, the anger yeah. and the angst. Yeah. And you can yeah. see a lot of that in, in a lot of different rap artists, mm -hmm. uh, but it's in a different form. But it's just yeah. that, yeah, that energy from the guitar. I just, uh, I miss that a lot. And uh, I, agree. I try to bring it back in my own music uh, you know, here and there. But, <laughs> um, how do you think, just to sum up our conversation about Joan Jett, how do you think she is the essence of cool? She looks cool. Her physically, her look and what she was wearing and her her dark eyes, you know, her her mascara, you know, eyes and her punky hair. Uh, she looked cool. She had the the cool look to me, and um, and is I saw her in 2010. So as a as an adult much later um and she looked amazing. Yeah. She's super fit and uh, she's wearing this tight sort of nylon black leathery shiny outfit and it looked mm. fantastic. Yeah. And that is cool to me. She's got the fashion thing down pat. I like her look. And the black leather jacket, I don't think, will ever uh, be out of cool. It will always be cool. Exactly. Okay. Uh, on that note, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Debbie Harry. So stick with us. We'll be right back. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you liked and even what you didn't like. Have you got a show or guest idea? Well, drop us a line. Our email addy is info at theessenceofcool.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, we're back with Anne-Marie Brueger, and uh, we're going to talk about Debbie Harry. I have to tell you, the first time I heard about Blondie uh, was when I went to see David Bowie and Iggy Pop oh. uh, for the Idiot Tour at the Seneca mm -hmm. Fieldhouse in Toronto, and she was the opening act. And I had heard nothing of Blondie wow. at all. They released the first album, but I don't think any of those songs ever charted or got played on Canadian radio. So we knew, and they were playing songs like Palisades Park, and I just was not in the mood. So I paid no attention to her whatsoever. Oh, and she didn't grab your attention, though? She, I would have thought. Well, I was just, you know, because... Bowie yeah, was sure, coming, Bowie, right? Yeah. And I was <laughs> right. like trying to plan yeah. my my uh, strategy to get over the barricades and up to the the stage so I could be close to him, right? Oh wow! <laughs> so I wasn't even thinking about yeah, what was going sure. on then, right? What was yeah. your uh, what you, your introduction to Debbie Harry and Blondie? Well, it's it's an early memory again um, at 
the record store at Treble Clef at Billings Bridge when I would go regularly, go and just look at all the albums. And I remember it perfectly. It's one of these perfectly clear early memories going through the albums and and uh, actually it would have been it was parallel lines and it probably was uh you know a top 10 at the time so it would have been on the wall but I remember holding it in my hand and looking at it for a lengthy amount of time like just looking and looking at her and it was right. like what did she look like it, it like she was very beautiful but in such yeah. an unusual way you know the the shape of her face and yeah. and the, the blonde hair and i i just i i can still see myself like really looking at this album for a really long time thinking wow and then the other part was her vocals yeah who sings like that like i don't even know how to do it. i i would try to sing that way it was impossible like it's that high range you know like right. say i have no idea how she does that so I, it was like really fascinating there there was no one else like that that looked like her or sounded like her right right she said that so she she talked about i was reading the book um which i still haven't finished i hate to say um and she was talking about the early years because they spent a lot of time. She was in various bands uh, before they started Blondie. Mm -hmm. And um, they were, but was mostly sort of in the neighbor, the, that neighborhood with CBGBs in Max's, Kansas City. Right. Back, back in that neighborhood again. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 And she said that, you know, in those times, it was just insane. And she was recounting a, uh, one night after playing at CBGB's, uh, her and Chris, uh, Chris Stein and her had hooked up by this point. And they went back to, uh, I guess they stopped for, they said milk and cookies at somewhere along the line, and then <laughs> went back to their, um, their apartment, which was in a really, really bad neighborhood. And there was a guy there waiting outside the door uh, who basically wanted to steal whatever they had. And all they had was, was Chris's guitar, mm. uh, which he grabbed, but he, that wasn't enough. So he forced them into their apartment and uh, ripped off virtually everything, tied Chris up. And I hate to say, mm -hmm. he raped Debbie. And it's horrible. Yeah, I read uh, that part too. Yeah, yeah. but she, uh, she said that she seemed to be... She intimated that she was more distraught about the theft than about the rape. <laughs> and I just wonder what that, you know, what do we draw from that? I don't know if it's bravado on her part right. saying something like that. Um, I, I mean, she might have been distraught that Chris was tied up while this was happening. Right. And it might have been not very memorable. <laughs> Right. But it's uh, it's a huge violation. It, it, but but get having your stuff ripped off is a big violation as well. I mean, I know that sure. years ago, you know, someone came in our house and stole our stereo system and stuff, and I felt that violation. It was yeah. like, oh, oh my gosh, you know. But yeah. um, it must have been just a traumatic affair, and I don't know why she would even write something like that. I'm sure that it was more traumatic than she's letting on. Yeah. She's written a couple of interesting things. I'll qualify them as interesting. We'll talk about them a little bit later on. But um, she was talking also about women in music back then and how at the time women were, as she says, window dressing. Mm -hmm. um, and that she really wanted 
to change that. And thank God she, she did. Um, and she, so we would saw, say she's probably one of the most iconic female singers in, in punk, let alone uh, or in rock. How do you think she has paved a path for women in music? Uh, I think by doing her own thing, you know, to be honest, I, I see Patty Smith as more of a path uh, leader, um, but Blondie as well, right? I, I mean, it's uh, she. It, she was just so unique and uh, and 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 so punk in her her own sense. And but she she touched on a, a lot more di- uh, different uh, areas as well. Like when you you think of her, uh, one of the big things for me for Blondie is that first rap. That she did in mm-hmm. in in 1980, it was one of the the song called Rapture, and it was certainly the first female rap. But I think it was a very very early days uh, in rap as well. So that that is definitely a door opener right there. She 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 was an actress as well. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know if you remember Video Drome. I remember seeing that. Yes, oh uh, yes. David Cronenberg, uh, Canadian. Uh, director so that's kind of interesting i think that uh, she uh, she did her own thing as well she she was uh, strong i think we need these women that are strong that are following their own path mm-hmm. and uh, and that are talented now because she looked the way she looked uh, her experience would have been very, you know, very different from Joan Jett or Patti Smith. Um, but I think she was able to use that look to get to a certain point. At least it would draw your attention and like, who is this Blondie, right? I mean, they call the band Blondie because this is what men used to call her out, right? Hey, Blondie. Right. Right. So I, I think with all of those things combined and the talent, you know, it's okay to look great, but you need to have that talent. And she, she had all that combined into one. Well, I want to talk a little bit about misheard lyrics or misunderstood lyrics, perhaps. Um, I'm thinking of one way or another, um, which I guess is about um, a, a fellow who used to stalk her. And it was, I mean, the stalking was so bad that she had to move out of the state to get away from this guy, right? Jeez. And so she wrote the song one way or another about I'm that experience. Get you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it's always, you know, it's kind of like uh, the police is every breath you take. It's it's misconstrued as a love song. Right. You know, maybe guys perceive things in different ways in, in terms of lyrical content. Um and I wonder how, what kind of an impact a lyric like that has on a woman. Did you know what that song was about, number one? And two, knowing that, how does that impact you? I think in order to write a song, a poem, anything, you need to have an inspiration. You need to have a, a just an inkling of an idea that leads to something. Yeah. So she wrote that song with obviously with that in mind i would i would not have heard that in my interpretation of that song because i didn't know and so i would quite easily possibly think you know sure i'm you know 
this whatever crush I might have had with one way or another, I'm going to get you. That would be how I would interpret things. And I like lyrical content for that, that is not telling me exactly what, the, what this is supposed to mean. It can mean anything. And I do find my on my own the way my own brain works, I tend to just kind of listen to things as a whole and mm-hmm. I don't get stuck on lyrics unless I'm reading them. Mm-hmm. So I would just, you know, would not pay attention too much to ly- to the lyrics. And I think that is because of my education with David Bowie, that the lyrics often didn't make a lot of sense right. unless you wanted to take the time to analyze, which I didn't because I was just listening to a song. So I kind of, I, I tend to listen to the song as a whole and not get stuck on the lyrics unless it's really like something specific and you yeah. stop and listen or stop and pull out back in the day when they had all the lyrics on the inner sleeve of the album was always right. fun. And then you would read the lyrics, you know, I which I do once in a while still. And even some of the Bowie stuff is like, well, hey, is that what he's saying? You know, whatever. Right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, incredible. Like I say, I mean, you need to find something to write about and you will write much better material in, in the time of crisis or pain or or something going on that you want to write about, you know, right. if 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 everything is hunky dory, I don't know unless you pull you write an album like Hunky Dory, <laughs> which is has a lot of very pleasant happy songs on it, and true. it's brilliant. It, that one worked out. Not a lot of people can do that. Yeah, true enough. Um, after the third album, Parallel Lines, they blow up. They mm-hmm. become huge stars. Blondie is a household name, as is Debbie Harry's name. Um, and she was, she talks about uh, making a, an appearance at a London record store where the, the crowds are so out of hand they have to call the cops in or playing at Max's Kansas City in a bat state. I don't know why they would play such a small club, mm. but the the you know it's the the club is bursting at the seams, you know, and they have to call the fire marshal in. What do you think that kind of success, that kind of fame, does to an artist? It can do a lot of things. You know, it depends on that artist. I mean, it can it can burn you out. It can it can it can really break you, I would think in most cases. It breaks you. And then and then what? Then you have to live up to the hype for your when you're doing your next album. That pressure can be unbearable, right? But when you look at it, that that next album, the 1980 Auto American is a brilliant album. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, I have t- to admit, you know, I haven't actually really sat down and heard it all the way through. Um, Tide is High is on there. You know, right, Tide is High. Everyone yeah. knows that one. Call yeah. Me. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Rapture, the one with the, uh, you know, eating cars and all this. Yeah. The monster. <laughs> it, it's cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, produced by Giorgio Marauder, which is interesting. That was an interesting choice, um, mm-hmm. although it, it, you know, it would have seemed like an odd mix at the time. Mm-hmm. But what uh, amazing songs it produced, right? Yeah. Um, Debbie talks a lot about sexuality, um, and she talks about there being on stage, and you know, especially when there's a, a big crowd and it's everybody's pulsing, that it, it's a very sort of sexual feeling. Um, she also talks about the downside of being a sexual a sexual artist that you know she's being sold as a commodity she's being sold she was talking about seeing a poster of herself 
uh, in fairly re revealing outfit and thinking about the kind of impact that would have, particularly on a younger male audience who's buying the poster. And I just wonder how important, I mean, we know how important it was back then, but how important is sexuality and, and um, one's appearance in the 21st century? It, it's extremely important. It's even more important now with all the uh, social media that we have, right? Everyone's right. trying to keep up with everyone else right. uh, in terms of what they look like. For women, uh, for young women, it's uh, really detrimental. Uh, it can really take a wrong turn um you know everyone trying to look as good as somebody else and and being able to compare yourself or having to compare yourself to others mm -hmm. where they're posting on social media images that are not really the real thing right. uh that's a whole problem of you're talking you, you mentioned 21st century right so mm -hmm. it, it's uh yeah um but 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 there and this is where Blondie's case is quite different from Jones and and Patty's, um, in that she looks the way she looks. Right. And it's it's probably a bit of a prison, a bit of a you know she can't escape that really unless she make herself look horrible on purpose. But um, you know, well, interesting she... you say that because the fast forward to the twenty first century, she's a seventy five year old woman, and she's still you know, doing everything in her power to make herself look young. She talks very openly about plastic, yeah. getting plastic surgery. And I just, I wonder what does that, what kind of message does that send to a younger generation that at 75, you still have to sort of wrestle with that. It's still important. You can't truly be your, your, yourself. This is a little bit of the problem of, um, of being a woman as as you get older you you know it, it becomes a problem that you don't look like a perfect 20 year old anymore i'm sure men feel the same way i don't know for some reason we all say men age better uh, i don't know why that would be uh, i did see again i saw uh, blondie in 2014 right. so she was a much older woman uh, didn't look as great as she used to look, but she was, sounded great, and she it was a great show. It was super fun, um, and so the pressure of wanting to c continue to look, you know, to do the plastic surgery and all—it's a personal choice. Mm -hmm. uh, Patty Smith is not a natural beauty. She is not doing anything. She's not even coloring her hair. She didn't care, right. and she's amazing, and we love her. So yeah. it really doesn't matter. It's. it's but um, the, the pressures on, on women, for sure, and I think the pressure on her, on Blondie, would have been more so because she had such an interesting look and such, right. um, uh, you know, she was a Playboy bunny, right, in, in the right. early days. I mean, she. Right. so it is, as I said, a bit of a prison that, you know, because you look like that, you don't really want to let yourself go and, and not look that way, Um it's hard to explain. I mean, again, it's a personal choice, but I mean, do we all, some of us fret over it more than others. Um, well, I just, I ask because, you know, um, in one's private life, I mean, you're allowed to do whatever you want, but because she's a public figure, yeah. right? I wonder if that set, sets a precedent and sends a message uh, to younger women. Uh, the message, unfortunately, this is where we, uh, we talked about earlier, have times changed. Right. 
and and things have evolved and things have changed but there is still always that part of being a woman that is still the same you still have to fight to to be heard you still have to be um out there to make sure that people understand you and and appreciate you for what you know for who you are and you have to look good and that's just you know we wear makeup you guys don't even wear makeup i don't know how you spend your lives not putting some makeup on (laughs) i just i have to think though that not to belabor this point but i have to think that that need to to uh, make oneself look as young as possible for as long as possible was created by a, a male-driven marketing machine back in the 70s to sell sex, right? And so, you know, clearly, I, you know, we're at fault here for, for doing that. And uh, I wonder, had there been more women um, at that level in marketing and in the record business in the 70s, would it be different now, you know? Or would it, would it, be, would it have been different then? Yeah. And I think it is. I think it's moving. You you have a lot more body positive um, uh, attitudes out there now too, where it's not everyone needs. Not all the women need to be super skinny, and you know, and, and so that is a positive thing. Things are evolving, and I do have hope for humanity in in that sense. But uh, we're we're still a long way from it. Around the time she was finishing her autobiography. Her manager apparently came in and said, and this is supposed to be a quote, I hope you say something about how you broke ground as a woman in a business that's a man's world. And she said, and this is sort of, this is paraphrasing, I know that there's misogyny and I know there's bias, but I will always be concerned about, I will always be more concerned about being good at what I do. It's a man's world and I don't think that they'll lose that title soon. But, and this is a direct quote, in order to survive, I could never put myself in the position of whining about being a woman. I just got on with it. Kudos to her for just getting on with it. But the business about whining about me being a woman, I think, would probably make Gloria Steinem <laughs> say a few uh, expletives about that. It's kind of sense w- women, the women's movement back about 50 years, don't you think? <laughs> and what's, what's your take on that statement? <clears throat> That is a bit of an odd statement, I have to say. Uh, there's no need to whine about being a woman. Being a woman has many, many advantages. And but, but, and but I think in the context in which she said that, I think she's trying to say that when women talk about having to fight for everything they uh, they need and and rightfully deserve, that that sort of that discussion is considered whining. Well, it might be to some men, but those who would be misogynists, I would think. <laughs> I mean, don't think you, um, mm. you know, I don't think it's called whining. I think it's called striving for equality, is it not? Yes, uh, absolutely. And I think this is where, I think we talked about it a little bit, was if you're, if you stand your ground and you expect certain uh, things to be done in a certain way. If you're a man, you might be seen as a perfectionist. If you're a woman, you'd be seen as difficult to deal with. So it's that kind of thing, perhaps. Maybe that's what she was getting to. Um, it's And it's unfortunate that she, I'm guessing she said that fairly recently, and it's unfortunate that she would even feel that she needs to say something like that anymore. That was, that was in her book. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you can, you can, but perhaps she's talking about her life in the seventies, I think would be in the seventies. It was like that. Right. So, but I'm thinking in 2020, good Lord, 2021, what year are we, um, would be, you wouldn't have to feel that way anymore, but it's still there. I mean, you see it even in the work environment, you know, if you have a, a difficult woman boss, it's just because she's trying to get the best out of you. And she, people would say she's bitchy or difficult. Whereas a guy, it would just be like, Oh yeah, he's just being like great or whatever. And I don't know. And that's anecdotal. I mean, it would be interesting to see data or studies about that to see if, it, you know, where are we? today still in that in that um in that realm is it still like that so it's a weird quote i have to say but i think she's just trying to say hey i'm getting on with it i i'm comfortable in my skin i'm a woman and um this is what i'm doing and it's just an odd quote i suppose i just i would be interested to hear what uh you know, uh, some women in their 20s would think about a comment like that. Well, that's what I mean, right? I mean, for me, yeah, I'm a little older and I'm thinking, yeah, I understand that reality. But today, um, you sh- we should ask younger women. I'm sure they would think that that was um, preposterous that she would say something like that. I hope they would think that. Yeah. Well, and regardless, uh, you know, I think that Debbie broke ground. She was in her own way a trailblazer mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, opened up paths uh, for women. Um, and I think that's brilliant in and of itself. Um, She's still... Go ahead. Uh, Blondie is re- releasing a graphic novel and uh, it will come with a soundtrack and with um, some older Blondie songs. And uh, yeah, it's coming out uh, very, very soon, shortly. Well, that's kind of very cool. I, I really look forward to that. That should be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to uh, f- finish off with Debbie and just wanted to touch on, before we let you go, touch on who you're listening to now. Who is exciting you in the world of, of music? I'm very much enjoying Orville Peck if I may say so absolutely he is uh he's extraordinary and really really talented his his band is actually I've seen them a few times the first time I saw him was at the uh, the dome here in Ottawa mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, it was really fun and then I saw them again about a year and a half later and you can really see that the whole band have really crafted their um their their show and their instruments um the really good stuff so Orville Peck is someone that I'm very much interested in. I uh, really like the his take on the older old country, but bringing it into 2021. And he's got this great voice. Do you know who he cites as a key influence on his career? I do not. Patty Smith. Oh, is that right? Which is eh? which is interesting that because it does because you would think it would have been a you know a country artist perhaps, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, mm-hmm. no, he said that Patty Smith was uh, um, a very key influence on him. So isn't that interesting? That is super interesting. I love it. Yeah, he's uh, definitely someone. And there are a few. Um, I don't know what am I listening to these days? Leon Bridges, perhaps, uh, depending right. on my mood. Uh, Fleet right. Foxes. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'm thinking. 
tennis. I like stuff like that. I like, you know. Oh, that's great. But uh, I don't. I just uh, yeah, listen to all kinds of stuff. So before I let you go, one quick little game uh, that I've been playing with virtually everyone who's been on the show, um, and it's just a bit of fun. Uh, it's called Cool or Not Cool. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to list a series of, uh, of vocalists, artists, and you tell me whether you think they're cool or not. And if you want to back that up with a little bit of this description, uh, please feel free. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the first one is metric. Cool or not cool? She is a great writer, actually, and, and quite talented. Yeah, absolutely. They're cool. Yeah. Um, and she uh, played with Lou Reed for uh, uh, quite a bit, didn't she, too? And Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, okay. Okay, Lady Gaga, cool or not cool? She is very talented. I think she's cool because she's doing her own thing. She's she's very dramatic and all that sort of thing. Uh, But she can back it up with actual talent. So when she first came out, I thought, who is this? (laughs) But then I saw her actually play the piano and really write her songs. And yes, to me, that that's cool. Good for her for what she's doing. It doesn't mean I'm going to be playing it much, but (laughs) but I, I, I can admire it. And an absolutely extraordinary voice. I love the duet yes. she did with Tony Bennett, which is just glorious. Very nice indeed, yeah. yeah. Taylor Swift, cool or not? Well, you know, Taylor, she's... Uh, I would not think that she's cool, certainly in the early days, but she is also very... Um, turning out to be a very smart businesswoman and uh, really um, developing her career it, but by her own account, and uh, for that reason, she would be cool. She she's she's quite smart, which yeah, wouldn't, re- I wouldn't have known, you know. But right. yeah, in that respect, she's a lot like Dolly Parton, you know, a, a really oh, Dolly, smart, love, savvy yeah. businesswoman. Yeah. You know, yeah. Dolly, I, I never knew how extraordinary she was until I listened to this podcast, and it's like, wow, she's actually a remarkable woman, and we don't give her enough credit, or I didn't anyway before I, I knew more details about her extraordinary songwriter she is she is um and as it turns out uh, because i changed my mind radically before i had blair packham on of the jitters and uh, mm. blair argued that uh, dolly parton was the essence of cool coming into that i didn't think so and then i did a mm. lot of research watched a lot of interviews listened to a lot of interviews with her and she is cool yeah. yeah, she's she's incredible, and she's always giving back. And she's, yeah, she is. Uh, she's a smart uh, businesswoman, and any smart businesswoman would be uh, cool in my books. Absolutely, uh, Madonna. Yeah, she had her cool time, I think, and um, I think it's past, very much past at this point. Um, yeah, I, I did. I liked her in, in the early days. It was really, she she really did something different that, that was, I think, needed at the time. Right. And um, yeah, I'm not going to take away her cool factor, but I don't know. Mm. I just get, I think she's trying mm. too hard these days. Yeah, yeah. Like just let it go and do something different, perhaps. Yeah. Listen, thanks again. And it's always great to talk to you. And I hope we can do this again sometime soon. Yeah. 
Whenever I chat with Anne-Marie, two things are certain. One, we'll have a passionate discussion, and two, at least part of that discussion will center on David Bowie. It always does. By the way, apologies for some of the background noise in our final segment. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Bernard Fraser saying please support independent music and stay safe.